Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. You can listen and subscribe to the show for free on Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Blog Talk Radio, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. For network or show information, visit BiteRadio.me. And now, the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Hey everyone, and thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Today, my special guest joining us from Belize is Jordana Wright, and we will be talking about her new book, Cannabis for Creatives, How 32 Artists Enhance and Sustain Inspiration. Cannabis has long been used and revered for its many benefits, from its widely acknowledged medical applications to its commonly accepted ability to help people relax. And now, with a list of states and countries legalizing marijuana usage for all purposes growing rapidly, we've finally reached a tipping point where cannabis is achieving a level of mainstream acceptance and usage, especially amongst artists. In Cannabis for Creatives, photographer and cannabis advocate Jordana Wright provides what you need to know to take full advantage of cannabis' potential in your creative work. She begins with the basics, how cannabis grows, how it's ingested, and the nuances of variety, and then works through the history of cannabis usage and all of the pertinent details of the plant itself, lineage, strains, appearance, flavor, and the types of how you can experience. Jordana also discusses the neuroscience of cannabis use, including how it affects the brain and how science measures creativity. For more information, you can visit Jordana's website, which is www.jordanawrights.com, and that's J-O-R-D-A-N-A-W-R-I-G-H-D.com. Okay, with that, we have Jordana. Good day, Jordana. Hi. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to have you. Uh, I've, uh, in preparation for the show, I've followed your Facebook page, and I was um, very uh, had high admiration <laughs> for the photo that you put on uh, with a hummingbird. Um, I've uh, they are hard to photograph. So anyway, I just had to say that one just was stunning. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, they are notoriously very difficult to photograph. I have to take my time with it to get a shot. Yeah, yeah. I got one last year, in, you know, with one particular bird in flight, you know, several photos. But that was it, you know, for for the years. So I'm hoping to, to be able to recreate some of that this year. Um, so, cannabis for creatives. How was – what was the seed of inspiration? How – for this particular book? So for me, it really came from a place of personal experience. Um, like many people, I started experimenting with pot as a teenager, and that also was a really formative period of time for me artistically. I was taking my first photography classes in high school, and I had my first real SLR camera. It was filmed back then. Um, and so, you know, I would get these creative assignments, and then I would happen to be out with my friends on the weekend, maybe smoking pot, and it, 
I noticed it was more fun and I felt more creative doing these assignments when I was a little bit high. So that's something that kind of has been going on for years for me. And then as photography became my profession, you know, granted you're not going to go to a wedding high, but when I'm doing, uh, like, flower <laughs> photography, bird photography, nature photography, I really find that my creative vision um, benefits from a little bit of cannabis. So, you know, since that was something that I was enjoying and then it's also something that my close friends were enjoying, I started to wonder, you know, how pervasive is this in the artistic community? We hear about it in music. We kind of have this cultural knowledge that cannabis is a thing that relates to creativity, but nobody's really studied it in any kind of depth before. So I was really curious to see if I became that person studying it in depth of what I would come across. So I decided that kind of the best format for that was a book with all of these anecdotal interviews so that readers could hear from artists in their own words about what the experience is. Yeah, well, it's it's, um, it's a wonderful book. Um, and, you know, uh, we think we've all grown up with, you know, that cannabis and creativity kind of there, you know, maybe not um, right in front of our faces, but but uh, if you look around, you can find it. Now, what process did you go about to uh, select the um, artists that you have interviewed? So initially I created um, an online form with an intake survey basically saying, you know, link me to some of your work, give me a quick explanation of who you are and what you do, and how has cannabis affected your creative process. And so I, I gathered all of these entries over a period of a couple months, and then I also put out some um, social media posts and put out some feelers through a few creative communities that I'm in touch with and started to amass this collection of people who were really interested in talking about what they were experiencing. So it kind of happened as a mix of an organic thing and a targeted thing. And, you know, then I started reaching out to everyone who had responded and started to see who was a real good fit for the book and kind of developed this amazing collection of artists. Yeah, it is, it is a very eclectic group <laughs> that you have there. So, yeah. um, so now, now, I'm sure there were some who were reluctant to, um, you know, go public with, with their, their users. How, how did, how did you handle that? And, and did you get much? You know, I mean, I'm, obviously since you're targeting a particular type of group, you're going to be generating, you know, a very certain type of response. But, you know, within that response, um, what about those who may have been reluctant? What was your approach to that? So, I mean, I have a background in anthropology. I studied it in college. And one of the things that happens when you do this kind of case study research is not everybody wants to put themselves out there. So, you know, you have a responsibility to the people that you're interviewing to make them as comfortable as possible and, you know, not to do any harm by them with the research that you're doing and what you're putting out there. So for some of them who you know, had these important, valuable insights, but weren't really necessarily willing to put their names out there, I offered anonymity. 
the vast majority of people were happy putting their names behind it. The other ones, we came up with pseudonyms for them, and I tried to keep their, you know, their kind of descriptions as vague as possible in terms of who they are and and what exactly they're doing in their careers so that that way we wouldn't out anybody who isn't quite ready to be outed. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Now, what was, would you say was the, the most difficult part of Together? That's a good question. You know, there were there were a few hurdles that I had to jump. Um, part of it is that I currently do not live in the United States, and so I am I'm in Belize in Central America, which right now I have fantastic fiber optic internet. But when I was working on these interviews, I was doing video chats. We held all the interviews over Zoom so that I could be face to face with the people I was interviewing. And the Internet was not always as reliable as I wanted it to be. So that was definitely a hurdle because you're asking people to put themselves out there and talk to you about these somewhat personal experiences. And it's a little odd when you have the sound of, like, tropical birds squawking in the background and chickens and sheep because my neighbor at the time was a farmer. And then the Internet cuts out, and then sometimes the electricity cuts out, and you have to reschedule. So – those were definite hurdles in terms of, like, the practical aspect of it. Um, and then I'd say another another hurdle with it is that lots of people haven't necessarily spoken about this before. So I'm asking people to describe physical sensations, um, emotional experiences, you know, things that are very internalized as they're happening, and I'm asking them to put those things into words. And that's really difficult for a lot of people because they've never vocalized these sensations before. So it really taught me to become a much more experienced interviewer than I was before the project began because you have to kind of suss these things out from people and ask for more in certain directions and maybe cut off other avenues that aren't as productive for the conversation. I'm sure you know all about this. You do this all the time. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. So that, yeah, that so, was yeah, definitely yeah. a learning process. Yeah. yeah the, the, I mean, I can understand also the technical issues, too. I mean, you know, even in the United States here, we just, you know, and and you're really kind of at the mercy of of technology when you're doing those kinds of things. And, and it is, I know it is difficult to, uh, to have to reschedule or to try to, you know, have the, the best, the optimal audio, you know, kind of experience, but, um, but it can be tough. Now, part of the, one of the things I like about your book, let me just start with, is, is the, all of the information that you provided about Canada. You know, a lot of, some of the things I knew or I had known anecdotally, you know, from my circle, but some of the things I had. Um, so I kind of want to just maybe highlight uh, a couple of the sections and kind of um, get some detail. Like for example, that you know, the idea of the relationship between creativity and, and cannabis, um, and obviously with your the title of your book, the Cannabis for Creatives. Um, what what have you found? Um, to be, uh, or is, is there any particular 
correlation, in, in your opinion, between cannabis use and creativity? So I think one of the primary correlations that a lot of people spoke to that I have observed in my own experience as well is that cannabis is sort of, it removes the the inner critic and kind of that anxiety level that we all experience. I don't know if we all experience it. I think we all experience it. Um, as we, you know, put ourselves out there in an artistic way, Art making can be very raw because, you know, this is something that you send to the world and you don't know how it's going to be perceived. So whether you're doing, you know, physical visual art like photography or painting or you're creating a recipe from scratch and then designing this beautiful dish for someone to enjoy or you're creating music or you're playing music live, each of these things you are putting yourself out there in a way that may feel very uncomfortable and cannabis is known for reducing anxiety and, you know, kind of softening the edges of things a little bit so that it doesn't necessarily feel as harsh or uncomfortable. Um, now, obviously, that's not always the case for everyone. There's also a significant portion of the population that experiences paranoia when they get high, and that does tend to, to be not as inducive to, to creative work. So it really depends on on personal body chemistry and that kind of thing. But if you are someone where cannabis softens that inner critic, makes you judge yourself less, makes you question every single thing that you're doing a little bit less, it becomes much, much easier to expose that inner creativity and, you know, create these things that might make you feel a little bit raw and not necessarily worry how the world is going to perceive you, at least in the time of art making. Um, there's always the after the fact. You know, while I was working on this book and writing this book, I felt super, super confident about it because it was coming together nicely and I was getting all of these wonderful experiences from people. And this collection of artists that I managed to work with is fantastic and really elevated the quality of the book. But then as soon as it's out there, you start that second-guessing, worrying, you know, did I have any typos that someone missed? Did I say something that was actually inaccurate? And cannabis really helps with that because you reach a certain point where you're like, I feel good about this. I'm okay. It's out in the world. It's going to be perceived how it's perceived. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a bad person or that I'm not talented or whatever. So I think that's that's a really impactful aspect of cannabis as far as creativity is concerned. Um, but one of the things that's, that's also really interesting about pot is that it kind of introduces a float for a lot of us where, you know, you are able to zone out all of the minutia of your day that might be stressing you out, like the bills you have to pay, the laundry you have to do, the fight you got into with your boyfriend, whatever, and you can focus on that inner creativity and let all of those things go so that you can work in this really nice, protected, safe space and create things of value that make you feel good. So I think that was another big aspect of it is that it, you know, it kind of dials down that ADD, ADHD that a lot of us feel because everything is this, like, mile-a-minute digital overload in our world right now. And it lets you kind of hone in on what actually matters so that you can make the best art possible. Yeah, yeah, I agree that you know the that um, removing the inner critic, the inner critic can be very stifling when it comes to um, 
creativity, you know. And um, now, one of the things that um, there was one one particular uh, artist, um, I believe it was the musician Ray Benson. He he was the one. Yeah. Um, in, in his particular, he was. Uh, you indicated that he was kind of like your the high profile, you know, artist that you. Um, Interviewed. Um, he indicated, you know, with uh, the, the ADD and the ADHD um, component of himself and how can pot help him. Um, so, you know, it, it's, I think we all experience that chatter, monkey chatter in the, in the brain that um, there really needs to be uh, silence, I guess, in, in order for creativity to break through. Yeah, absolutely. And there were so many, there were multiple people who told me, you know, I've always, I've always been medicated with, um, various pharmaceuticals to try to lessen the ADD, but, you know, things like that have side effects. And for the most part, cannabis tends to be pretty side effect free. I mean, it's going to make you, maybe a little sleepy or maybe have some munchies or if you're relatively new to it you might experience kind of that elevated heart rate that makes some people uncomfortable but you're not going to have these kind of destructive side effects that a lot of pharmaceuticals can cause so i was told by multiple people that utilizing cannabis allowed them to get off of pharmaceuticals and still enjoy a more productive energy, um, both during art making and in normal life. So I think that's that's yeah. a major important factor, you know. Yeah, you know, and, and I believe that it's that particular effect that you know of, of weaning someone off um, of pharmacology, uh, the pharmaceutical. Um, that is what you know the, has the the big pharma kind of all up in arms. I mean, why would you need their product yeah. if there is something else that, you know, is better in the sense of uh, uh, no side effects? And, and that just drives me crazy. Whenever I see a, a drug commercial on it and they go through the side effects. I mean, you know, it's like, you know, one of the side effects might be death. You know, it's like, you know, what, what am I doing? Yeah. You know, I mean, to me, it's crazy when you see that, when I hear that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, pretty, it's a pretty wild thing. I think one of the things that's so important to remember is that our bodies are these, like, very delicate, balanced ecosystems. And anytime you introduce something new, you're potentially throwing that ecosystem out of whack. Um, one of the things that was really interesting was during the neuroscience research phase of the book, learning about, you know, what they call um, Goldilocks conditions. So, you know, it's not too hot, it's not too cold, it's just right. And there are all of these places in in life and, and in um, the universe where Goldilocks conditions exist. So the Earth is just close enough to the sun that we have all of the life-sustaining properties of the planet, but we're not too far away, you know what I mean? And the same thing is true in cannabis. So... There are certain elements of cannabis that um, can benefit creativity, and then there are certain elements that might hinder it depending on 
your personal body chemistry and how you um, interact with with THC and with all the other uh, cannabinoids that are in there. It's such a delicate balancing thing that we're really just starting to understand now because science and research have been hindered by, um, you know, the various legal aspects. And and that is what scares Big Pharma for sure because we're starting to trend toward these sort of natural things rather than things you're creating in a factory from a set of chemicals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I found that uh, we were in that section of cannabis in the brain about the Gobi lockdown. I found that real interesting too. And and that it's it's just one of those um I think people can understand the concept of a Gobi zone, you know, and so when it comes time to uh cannabis and the interaction with the body and, and now with all the different types of strains and the um and, and the ability to to uh, create, you know, some that are uplifting, some that are relaxing, you know, some, you know, I mean, just all, all the different varieties. Um, to me, that just, uh, it, it's, in a way, it, it's uh, a scientific and uh, a scientific study that's basically experience based. You know, that um, mm-hmm. that. Those anecdotes that we get from people are going to be the, I think, the basis for greater understanding. Uh, once we get to the point where we can research it, but a, a greater understanding of the variety um, and, and potential benefits of, of each of the strengths. Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. it's yeah. interesting because it's cool. also really um, it's subjective in a in a very real way. So. You know, one strain might affect you differently than it affects me because it, it's about that body chemistry and, you know, hormone levels. And, and there's evidence actually that, uh, those of us with higher levels of estrogen feel the cannabis effects more acutely. So I might smoke the same thing as my husband, but I'm like really feeling it and he needs to hit it a few more times to get to that point. So, you know, it's very, it's very um, personalized and specific, and, you know, there's no one-size-fits-all for it, which is something that I think makes it really fascinating. Yeah, that, that, it does, you know, that, and uh, the I, I guess if there is a downside to it is that uh, it makes um, trying to identify, you know, which, which works best for one challenging, you know, because of the fact that it being so um, so different. Absolutely. And, you know, you get these products now where it's a vape pen and it's designed to help you relax, but it's not going to make everybody relax. That's very much a marketing thing. And I think an important step in the process of cannabis becoming more publicly ubiquitous is that people need to understand those effects vary person to person, and there's a certain amount of personal experimentation that you have to go through before you find what works for you. I know a lot of people tend to get scared off by a stronger high or, you know, an experience that feels unpredictable compared to what the label said it was going to be. And hopefully people are able to kind of take it slow and push through that a little bit until they find what really does work for them. Because, you know, not everybody wants that, like, 
stuck in the couch high, and not everybody wants that kind of hyper, talkative, bubbly, all over the place high. <laughs> right. Right. So the time and place freeze. <laughs> so. Exactly. Oh. So now you also have a, a, a section in your book. You talk about cannabis use throughout history, and um, that that was fascinating to read because it, I mean it's it goes back quite. Um, quite a way. So, what what would you say? Maybe do, do you find uh, interesting or, or something that stand out? Maybe as far as part of history that you didn't know. Um, give us a kind of like a snapshot of of cannabis uh, use history. Sure. Um, so you know, it's it's been present for as long as written history has existed. Um, you know, cannabis, not in terms of its creativity applications, but in terms of medical, spiritual, um, it's existed in, you know, the Middle East, in huge swaths of Asia. It's been all over the planet. Parts of birth, they used it as um, a component of birthing practices, hemp oil, cannabis oil. Um, it was, you know, kind of a religious rite in many of the ancient communities of the Middle East. And so what's fascinating is that we know it was there, but it's something that kind of gets ignored by the history books in large part. You really have to be researching cannabis, marijuana, hemp specifically to find it. It's not like you're going to see it in, you know, the high school textbook you use. And that is a political thing, and I think it's sort of this desire to rewrite history and remove drugs and, and things that are not necessarily as culturally desirable to teach our youth about, you know. And so doing my research, I had my work cut out for me because it's not as readily available as you want, and as a result, everyone is citing the same sources over and over again and quoting the same things over and over again, but there's no depth to it. There's no, like, deep research ability that you can do just, like, at a whim, find all this information. So it took months. The research aspect of this book took months, kind of delve through all of this stuff and find out exactly when it was being used, who was using it, why they were using it. When we get into the past couple of centuries, it's a lot more obvious because there's a lot more written history. You know, there's tremendous records mm -hmm. about the jazz musicians and how how pot influenced the whole jazz movement because it was allowing people who were essentially lower than second-class citizens in the United States to sort of forget their social structure and how they felt um, maligned by society, and they're able to enjoy their music and lose themselves in it because of pot. And so there, you know, there was the jazz musicians, there were the beat poets, um, Allen Ginsberg was a big one. He wrote this incredible treatise that was just absolutely insane that was published in um, The Atlantic. And it, you read these things and you realize that for as long as pot has been part of the cultural experience in the United States, it's been this kind of underground thing. So that was the theme that I was finding over and over again. And it wasn't until really the hip-hop era in the late 80s, 90s, and contemporary, contemporary times that people are being a lot more open about it. 
And so you're seeing this trend where it's like, all right, Snoop Dogg says it's cool. Um, Jay-Z says it's cool. So now we can talk about it now as part of, like, the cultural conversation. Yeah. Yeah, that when that picture of Snoop taking smoking a joint before performing at the Super Bowl halftime was, was a riot. Exactly. Because, I mean, it was it was one of those things that everybody knew. No one would really be surprised, but, but they kind of had to make a point, you know, of, of uh, showing that around. Yeah, I saw Snoop live at um, Riot Fest a few years ago, and the Riot Fest was a show, was a, a, I guess, a festival that they were doing in multiple places. And I lived in Chicago at the time, and there was a Riot Fest Chicago that was going to have Snoop. And then there was also a Riot Fest Denver. And we specifically purchased tickets for the show in Denver because I wanted to go see Snoop in an environment where pot was legal because it wasn't yet in Illinois at that point. So we all flew out there and, you know, stocked up. And the Snoop show was fantastic. Someone passed this enormous bong up on the stage. Who even knows what was what kind of weed was in it? He smoked it. The crowd went crazy. You know, it's just. It brings people together in a very real way. Yeah, yeah, and what you know, and a lot of this is uh, putting um, a, a little bit of a, a damp on those uh, the self-critic and, and you know allowing ourselves to express more freely, you know, than we might otherwise. Yeah. Well, Jordana, we're about halfway through the show, so I want to take a, a quick break. And then when we come back, I want to talk about a few of the artists, you know, that, that you had uh, focused, okay? Sounds good. Happy everyone. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this very brief break. Hello. This is Robert Sharp. I want to thank you for joining us, and I hope that you are enjoying today's show. Just a reminder that we have a wealth of information and resources available on our website, byteradio.me. There is a calendar of upcoming shows, along with an archive link that will give you access to more than 1,600 shows that we have had during the past 12 years. Also on the site is a link to the products and services we provide, books, nature photography, calendars, and 5x7 photo greeting cards. Our show is a free podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and TuneIn. And you can subscribe for free on any of those platforms by using the links on our website homepage. We are on social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, etc. And we also have buttons to those platforms on the top of our homepage. Our website, ByteRadio.me, has much for you to explore and enjoy. I also very much appreciate you supporting our guests, and especially today's guest. And now, back to the show. Hello to everyone. Thank you for staying with us again today. My special guest joining us from Belize is Jordana Wright, and we are talking about her new book, Cannabis for Creative, How 32 Artists Enhance and Sustain Inspiration. And again, you can find out more by visiting Jordana's website, which is jordanawright.com, and that's J-O-R-D-A-N-A, 
W-R-I-G-H-T.com. And on there, you'll be able to find links on how to book a shoot, uh, portrait projects, uh, her Belize workshop, and all kinds of fun stuff. So with that, we're back, Jordana. Okay, great. So I'm going to highlight just a few of them and you know, kind of maybe get your feedback, inspiration, or, or comments about them. One of them was Jeff Federer, um, going back, goes by the name Fed. Um, in that particular one, one of the things that stuck out to me was that he views each decision as an opportunity to create. So in that sense, I mean, he is really – um, opening the, the door to the fact that when you think about every decision, about every decision, we're thinking creatively. So I thought that was a interesting um, view, you know, of, of where creativity falls in daily life. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that that Fed described so beautifully, and he was actually the very first interview I did for the book. Um, one of the things he described really, really well is that contemporary society really associates creativity with some sort of end product. So I paint to create a painting, or I write music to have a song. You know, the, the culmination is what's important more so than the process. And that can be pretty stifling to our creativity because Sometimes you just want to be creative in, you know, the way you organize your day. Sometimes you want to be creative in the doodles that you're making on a piece of paper while you're waiting on hold for something, and you're not ever going to show those doodles to anyone, but you enjoy making them, and it fulfills that creative impulse within you. So, you know, he actually is a, a creativity coach at this point. He started as a chef, and he writes books, and he enjoys um, you know, painting, he says he paints badly, but that he enjoys doing it for the sake of doing it. And I think a lot of us lose sight of that and that it's okay to not be an expert at things, to not necessarily monetize our creative impulses or, you know, whatever, whatever our end products are. And so he's working with various people to try to help them fit their creative energy into societal standards that at times can be quite stifling. So that was a really interesting interview. He had some absolutely fantastic insights about, you know, the world is, is very straightforward and organized and you need to systematize every single thing. But for those of us who have this kind of creative flow and how we, how we approach the world, that can feel really painful and, and dissonant and difficult to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, one of one of the phrases that he used to was pointless creativity, you know. And yeah. last that came up in my in my head this morning. I was out taking pictures and there was just one yellow flower that's, you know, it's sometimes just hard for me to capture the you know, capture it right, you know, with it was hard on it. So anyway, today I I came across one with against some bark, and I thought, oh, that looks nice. And I just took the picture, and I just thought, well, you know, that's probably not going to be one of those that I'll, you know, make anything of, quote, so, you know, quote, unquote. But it's one I want to look at again, you know. And um, yeah. and the idea of this creativity is like, oh, you know, that's that's perfect. And, 
that if it's just simply to see it again. Absolutely. I think one of the one of the weaknesses of everything being so connected and social media being so um, significant in everyone's life is that there is this belief now that if you do something creative, that it doesn't, it's not enough for it to just be for you, that you need to somehow turn it into your job or your career or something that you sell and something that you market and that you have to almost become a brand connected to your art. And creativity is just something that feeds the soul. You know what I mean? Like, you can make a life out of it. You can make a career out of it. I've done that. But there are other things that I enjoy doing that are never going to see the light of day because they're just for me. And I think that's something that a lot of us lose sight of that I would like to see more people engage with. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. And, you know, in that just for me, too, I have whenever I come across something that just captures my eye, but by the time I get my camera ready to it, 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 it's gone. You know, and for so long I was like, ah, oh, I hate that that happened. I hate that it happened. You know what I mean? And I've now shifted to whenever that happens, it was, that was just for me in that moment, not to necessarily be relived again by me, by, by me or anyone else. Absolutely. It was just one of those. Yeah. Things. Yeah. And that just shifts the whole energy. Yeah. My, my, um, so my husband and I moved into a tiny house in the jungle or, around Christmas. And every day, we're located about a mile between two rivers. So we have a river to the north and a river to the south. And every day around 5 o'clock, we have this huge flock of egrets that fly overhead. And I tried every single day for the first two weeks we were here to photograph them. But they're so fast, and they always hit in a different area, and we're so in the middle of woods that I can't really see them from far away. And I was missing it and missing it and getting frustrated. And then one day I just didn't even try. And my husband said, well, we're getting close to egret flyover time. Do you want to get your camera? And I said, no, I live here. I'll get it eventually. I just want to see him. And that felt like a moment of growth. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to capture it. I need to experience it. And, and that's something I'd like to see myself do more, and I'd like to see a lot of us do more. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um and, and then the, the one of the last comments um, from Fred that I laughed at was he indicated that food is a very marijuana friendly business, <laughs> and I thought, well, yeah. that's true on many many levels, I'm sure, and I'm and I'm sure he was talking about the many levels from preparation to consumption. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think flavors just sort of feel more rich and interesting, and you're not shoveling food in your mouth for the sake of being done with dinner and then sitting in front of the television. You're savoring each bite, and you're, you know, enjoying the various flavors and noticing things that you might not notice otherwise. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, in the vein of a wide variety of of uh, artists that you interviewed is the uh, multidisciplinary artist, um, uh, photographer, excuse me, photographer and performer, Colton Clifford. Now, Colton Clifford um, is self-identified as non-binary. So in your interview, you had, of course, the the they or or their, you know, um, 
cover this in my life. <laughs> you had the they and their identification. Um, tell us about that interview. I mean, Colton's work is fabulous. I mean, it is really wonderful. I mean, it's, it's truly, uh, when, you, when, that, when I looked at it, I was just, I was just in awe of, of the ability, uh, what they were able to create. So tell us about that particular interview. It had to be, it had to be fun and interesting, I would think. Oh, absolutely. Um, one of the things that was so cool about this book was, you know, the range of people that I was getting. And Colton is someone that I was introduced to by um, my cousin's husband's sister who runs an art gallery. And she went to school with Colton. They, they studied art together in a graduate program. And Colton was such an interesting person to talk to because they studied um, photography in, in a formalized setting for graduate school. But, you know, just like many of us, photography doesn't necessarily define their entire artistic interest or pursuit. And so living in New Orleans, Colton became very in tuned and ingrained with the drag community. And so Colton had been performing drag um, up until the um, the epidemic started and a lot of the drag clubs started closing. Um, so it's it's been a shift in, in the way that they were able to, you know, find an artistic outlet because I think for them, drag started as essentially they were photographing other drag artists and realized that there was a level of disconnect because, they really didn't know what that felt like personally. So Colton um, decided to try it out and really enjoyed it and found this new level of self-love from getting on stage and exploring this whole other persona. Um, their drag persona is called The Darling. And I've seen clips of the performances, and they're fantastic, and the crowd eats it up. Um, but then there was this whole other visual art aspect of it as well. So Colton was doing um, photographs of other drag artists and and also doing these beautiful uh, digital illustrations that kind of capture the essence of each drag act. Um, that's something that uh, and now they have stopped doing because, you know, the pandemic is winding down and other artistic opportunities are coming back. Um, but, you know, one of the things that really stood out was how cannabis was part of that self-love story for Colton. It wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, I got high to get the courage to go out on stage. It was I smoke so that I can find beauty in myself that I'm able, more easily able to see in others. And I think that that's, that's an important aspect of cannabis use as well is that, you know, we can – it's that inner critic. We can we can soften it a little bit and have some more understanding for ourselves and our pursuits and how we look and how we feel and how we act and we don't need to be so judgmental every single day. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I mean that that indoctrination begins so young in, in school that it's just um you know, it's just hard to keep it um you know, to, to keep that judgment um, in check, you know, yeah. so that uh, yeah. you can express. Now, you had a couple multidisciplinary artists, um, and, you know, as you were talking about uh, creativity, that, you know, 
people who express creativity often will do it in many different ways, um, like different facets. Yeah. You know, so I'm, you know, I'm looking at multidisciplinary artists as, as basically the words to that kind of belief. And, and one of the things that stuck out um, with Mark is, and it was kind of in the beginning of his, his story, his interview, was that um, he indicated that the biggest window that you can give yourself, skill set, is the greatest pathway to success. Um, and, you know, and it, it, I think, anyway, I, I just thought that it just stood out to me, you know, where sometimes, you know, we're all or kind of niched into a, like, photographer or a sculptor or, or you know, that, that it becomes, um, it can be challenging to venture out into all their disciplines. Um, but anyway, yeah. I, I thought this one was in that it kind of invites the reader to explore other ways. Absolutely. I mean, diversification is really key in any kind of artistic career. So, you know, I studied theater and anthropology in school. I am most certainly not doing theater and <laughs> have not done theater in a very long time. But that background really helped me in terms of how do I frame a photograph because I'm used to framing a scene on the stage. Or how do I organize this series of interviews into something that reads and carries the reader through? Well, I have a big background in plays and in directing plays, and it's a very similar experience. So everything you learn and absorb in your development as an artist can, can benefit other aspects of your artistry. Um, you know, early on I felt this impulse to – be a photographer and make money with photographs, make money with the act of, of photographing things. And everybody's a, photo a photographer now. So, you know, digital cameras are everywhere. Everyone does it. Everyone enjoys it. I got into education. I started teaching photography. I started writing about photography. And I stopped pigeonholing myself in this, like, sense of value of, if I'm not making money by selling photographs, then am I really a photographer? No, you're always a photographer. You're always an artist, whether that art is, you know, something that's designed for the inside of your home that no one's ever going to see, or if that's something that you're putting on social media for millions of followers. So Mark definitely hit the nail on the head with that. You need to, you need to diversify as much as possible if you're going to try to make a living from any kind of artistic pursuit because it's very fickle. And there's only going to be more competition. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, I just, um, that's one of those things I dabble. <laughs> you know? And, but, yeah. um, I think after reading your book, you know, and recognizing that, um, my focus on end product, you know, is depriving me of the the simple joy of creating period. Just for the sake of creating, that's it. You know, that 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 in itself serves a purpose. That, yeah, there's you know, there's a real sense there's there's a real sense of the immediacy as being important now because we're getting this dopamine release from posting something online and getting likes. But if you think back to the yeah. painters of the Renaissance, like 
they they never got to see how important they were. You know, some of them got money and fame a little bit while they were alive, but for the most part, it was posthumous. So, you know, it's just a cultural lens that we're living in right now. And the mm-hmm. most important thing is is the way it supports you, sustains you to create. It's you know, it's a vital, it's a vital portion of life, and we only get one life, so you better be enjoying it. And art is one of those ways that you can really kind of expand your existence and and get every little extra bit out of life. Yeah, exactly. And don't let judgment of others impact, you know, the the desire to create, because that, that can. You know, yeah. So so many times creativity. Um, it's a bad rap in a way, you know, and, and that, that it, uh, it bucks convention sometimes. And um, not yeah. everyone is, is comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah, somebody told me yeah. once um, that that this is a painter that I used to know, and they told me that somebody would look at their paintings and say, well, I don't know how you do that. And in many ways, that's like going up to someone who speaks a language fluently that you don't know how to speak and say, I don't know how you do that. Well, you start step by step. You learn some vocab. You learn some conjugations. You you know what I mean? It's a development thing. And if you're just looking at the end product and getting overwhelmed by it, you're robbing yourself of the joy of learning, experimenting, improving, all the things that made me want to quit piano lessons as a kid. You know what I mean? Like, the process is part of it. It's not just about playing that concerto perfectly. It's about, you know, getting the, the technique down and enjoying your time. Yeah, yeah. Now, I'm going to ask you a question about, you know, you pick one of the artists that you were – either most impressed by, surprised by, and I know this is kind of like asking a parent to pick a favorite child, <laughs> but um, can you give us, you know, what, what, what one artist um, was, that kind of stood out for you? Oh, it's so hard. Because um, they're also incredibly different. I... Mm-hmm. Okay, so I will speak about Nelson Ruger, who designed the cover of the book and is somebody who was very present in my own growth as an artist. He was actually a visiting professor um, when I was studying theater in school. And so I, I learned from his design process, and he became a mentor for me. And I actually had my awakening with cannabis long before he had his. So it was kind of this backwards thing. He only discovered cannabis very, very recently. Um, What's amazing about it is that he is somebody who, I mean, art and creativity just pour out of him. Like, this man, I, I don't even know where it comes from. I don't know how he harnesses it. It's absolutely incredible to me. So being able to interview him and have him kind of vocalize the process of discovering cannabis long after he was an established artist with a set of techniques and that he could actually see an adjustment in his in his process and an improvement in his process that was very established already with the addition of cannabis, that was incredible because, you know, as I said before, I started those two things kind of in tandem 
he had his art, and then he, he sprinkled some pot on top of it, and it only made it better. And I think that's just such a cool thing in his development, and I'm so excited for him. And I'm excited that, you know, I was actually part of that because I definitely peer pressured the crap out of him when I was um, friends with him early on. <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that he found it. You know, I'm glad that it works for him. And this book is actually his coming out of the cannabis closet. Um, when he uh-huh. agreed to do the interview, he said to me, okay, well, I have to call my parents because it's going to be in a book now. <laughs> and so he did that, and, and now he's now he's an out cannabis artist like the rest of us, which is just really exciting. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, his art is, is beautiful. I mean, um, it's just, I mean, the images are, are, are awesome. Um, so what, what do you hope that uh, the reader – of Cannabis for Creative will take away from from reading your book? So for people who are not experienced with cannabis or maybe have some kind of preconceived notion that they have absorbed through various government, religious, social propaganda that pot is bad and pot smokers are drug users and bad, um, I hope that those people can read this book and see that maybe they were wrong about it, um, that there are these very positive elements that are coming out of it. And, in fact, Pat's been there this whole time in art making, in creativity, in religion, in medicine, and they just haven't known. So I'm hoping to kind of create an awakening for those people, for people who – have dabbled with pot and maybe haven't found exactly the right way to utilize it for their creativity. I hope that this kind of serves as a a targeted approach where they read it and they say, well, this works for this person and that works for that person, so maybe I'll combine those two approaches and find what works for me. So I think that there's something that everybody can take away from it, and I also am very – hopeful that we can start to change the idea of what a pot smoker looks like. Um, I want I want to start to get rid of the stigma. Obviously, this is going to be a long journey that we're only partway into. But I want someone to think about cannabis and not just immediately call back to those, you know, public service announcements of the Reagan era and not immediately think this is your brain on drugs with a frying egg. I want people to think it's a plant. It's a plant that has been here for longer than we even realized it existed, and it has benefited society in many, many ways, and there's only more that we can learn about it. There's only more that that we can find a place for it in our society as a positive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that image of what a pot smoker is. Um, one of my dearest friends was head of a credit union. <laughs> no one would have expected her to be smoking, but yeah, for decades. Now into the her seventies. Yeah, 70s. I mean, I. <laughs> I have, I've always gotten good grades when I was in school and I get my work done and I'm responsible. I pay my taxes on time. Like I do all the things that you're supposed to do as a productive member of society. And I'm a pot smoker and I have been for my entire adult life. 
And it's to the point where sometimes people who I've known for a really long time find this out about me, and they're like, what? Really? Yeah, really. There's no specific look. There's no specific behavior. It's, you know, it's it's not, I don't know, it's it's not a negative. It's, it's definitely a positive if you are responsible about it and you find a way that it suits your life effectively. And I've been super lucky that I've been able to do that. That's great. And, and I'm sure, having read the book, that you'll be able to achieve that. And, I mean, just me, you know, the idea of pointless creativity. You know, that's one thing that, I mean, it's already taking effect into my mindset to, to, when it comes to creativity, that just uh, to really just delete that judgment that of, of anything I, I snap a picture of, you know, or, or, that, or even that's preventing nice, myself yeah. from taking a picture. Yeah. What's your Dan? Okay, I'm glad, I'm glad that you found your thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and then I, I, I also think that readers in general are going to find some component in the book that will free their creativity, you know, from, uh, from being held back, you know, to, to really express it. So it's a really good inspiration um for, for creative. So thank you. Thank you for your time and thank you for the book and, and helping lead the way to a more common sense view of, of cannabis pop and all of the other names that you listed in the book. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It has been my pleasure. Again, everyone, today my special guest joining us from Belize is Jordana Wright. We've been talking about her book, Cannabis for Creative how 32 artists enhance and sustain inspiration. And again, you can find out more by visiting Jordana's website, which is www.jordanawright.com. And that's right, W-R-I-G-H-T.com. So everyone, I want to thank you for joining us for this edition of the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. And until we meet again, thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to the Bringing Inspiration to Earth show. Remember, our show is available as a free podcast from Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, Blog Talk Radio, Amazon Music, and Audible. To follow our show on any of those platforms, visit ByteRadio.me and select the one you use most. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ByteRadioMe. Until we meet again... Remember to be a bright light by bringing inspiration to your world and to the lives of those you touch.